it's important to know that these financial institutions make a ton of money in this case, right? Because these, some of these financial institutions are get in at that initial price. Welcome back to Investing 404, the podcast by amateur investors for amateur investors. I'm Gov and I have Chris here with me. We've both been investing for over a year and we'd like to give an insight to how we analyze companies for investment. So welcome back all. We have decided to change it up slightly. So we will release a smaller episode with the news, 10-bagger and a learning segment that should be around 15 minutes in the first half of the week. And then the second half of the week will be a stock analysis, an in-depth analysis, which will most likely be slightly longer. So let's start with the news for today, Gov. What do we have? Well, I think, Chris, uh, for the news this week, we've seen a couple big stories come out this week. But the one I want to focus on is obviously Airbnb. I mean, we've spoken about Airbnb in a previous episode a few weeks ago about the IPO coming out and how it's going to be a storm. With a 112% surge on opening day, Airbnb really embraced the spike in people's interests, right? And really, really embraced its strong financials, as we had discussed on that previous episode, and really shot out into new highs. I mean, um, right now, the stock's up at around $140 after the initial floating range being in the 45 to 55 range, right? I mean, so we can see Airbnb really skyrocketed from what the the banks estimated as a uh, as a, a fair value price yeah it's it's kind of crazy we'll go into the ipo um bit in the learning segment but really airbnb has just managed to crush what even institutional professionals thought it was worth and doubled its value in one day <laughs> what people valued it at was completely shattered in that one day and bringing that even back in April or May of this year, they did a funding round before they went live on the stock market for 17 billion valuation. And I think now we're at 120 billion valuation. So that shows you the differences that, <laughs> you know, the stock has gone through within one year. It's kind of, it's, it's been a 10 bag in itself almost. <laughs> um, crazy. For sure, Chris, for sure. Nowadays, there's so much hype around stocks. So it's, it's hard to tell how much a movement is purely due to the momentum from the hype. But I think, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I think Airbnb is one of the biggest and like best companies in the US. So I think uh, in that sense, I think Airbnb has got a significant gap to where it could be. And I see significant growth in the next year with this coming investment. So I, I still think it would be a buy. I mean, really depends what your investment horizon is. If it's longer term, I don't think the price at 139 really matters. Um, but again, that's just my opinion on the matter. I mean, yeah, that's fair. I, I definitely see and like number one, the brand, everyone in our space knows Airbnb and the platform just being the middleman they can scale up and down as much as they want really with not owning any hotels or apartments or planes so that that's definitely positive what shocked me is that they still have extremely high cost and with them growing as a company um, i don't see any profitability yet over the next two three years which is quite shocking also the fact that they're worth more than booking.com right now is kind of crazy in my eyes because booking.com owns car rental companies they own 
half of Asia's travel websites. It's a full-fledged company that is still profitable even this year. Um, so yeah, so um, my outlook is not as positive, but we'll see. We'll we'll see where it goes. We we can see hype can um, really take stocks up to levels that are not imaginable, right? I think if we look at its comparison, uh, Chris, I think against the com com competition, Airbnb is very strong. Uh, and like you said, you mentioned Booking.com, who owns all of these other areas right that whereas travel or whatever and these are areas that airbnb just has an easy 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 growth into um, from its target base and it's easy to push it as well because essentially you're looking at like people who live there who can recommend us a, a store so it's much higher potential of like actually transferring that market uh, but yeah i completely agree uh with your point the second thing I really want to get into is this week we also had earnings for um, Starbucks. And Starbucks announced its earnings and future forecast uh, on Wednesday. And post that, the I think the stock went up about 4%, not, not too high. But the essential key takeaways were they've adjusted their earnings for the next couple of years, but it's still fairly high. It's around 10 or 12% in 23 and 2024, um, which really shows especially these really high potential growth rates in suburban markets and it kind of sets the tone for how we see a big business is changing anyways and starbucks is, is reflection of growth is also the same which is a movement away from just city center growth to more suburban areas and suburban market growth as they see these big companies shifting away from the center um and the firm's closed around 8,000 underperforming stores, which has also meant that it's a little bit more efficient. I mean, uh, closing stores is really like sad from like a news perspective, but from an investor perspective, it just shows the companies being a lot more efficient, right? Uh, and essentially it rebounding, sales rebounding quicker than anticipated sets itself up for a potential uh future and shows a plan for future growth in the upcoming years sounds like starbucks leadership has really taken this uh on well and has done um the right preparations for the future uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how city centers transform now with you know less people being in the city in 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 you know london i'm not sure how london will be impacted going forward the next five to ten years and maybe in 20 years it'll be all, all back to normal but I do see a short to medium term impact. I think we should just move into our learning segment. Um, we mentioned Airbnb um, and Airbnb is one of a few hot running IPOs that have happened in the last couple of weeks, right? I mean, we've had um, Snowflake, we've had uh, DoorDash, Palantir. Yeah, Palantir. I mean, Palantir has been one of the ones, I mean, I'm. that's really increased my portfolio as an example. <laughs> it's gone up around 200% for me. So um, we're seeing a huge wave of this, I think. It's been a big year, right? It, it, it's a good time. Yeah, for sure. So it's a good time to maybe look at, especially for some of our more uh, fresh investors and explain what an IPO really is, right? Yeah. So uh, what we'll do, I mean, so essentially an IPO, if we look at what an IPO is, let's say you're a company 
that has uh, some good foundations of success, right? And now you want to really take your business to the next level. To do that, you need a huge inflow of capital. You need more money coming in to be able to use that money elsewhere. So you could do that in a couple of different ways. And we'll go into some of those other ways in future episodes. But one of the ways is by selling equity. Selling equity means you're giving up a percentage of your ownership in that company for this money that comes in, right? And one of the ways of doing that is through an IPO so that the, the company becomes a public company. What that means by public company is it allows people, the layman like you or me or Chris, to buy into that company and become an, a part owner of that company, right? And you total up all those shares and you see what the company is actually valued at, right? So that that's a, the process of an IPO is just letting that happen. It's like the process of letting that company go from a private company to a public company. Yeah, a great example was Airbnb, right? Um, they were a private company and they um, you couldn't invest in them, simple as. Even if they were the best company on earth, you could not invest in them. And now that's changed. If you really believe Airbnb is a great company, now you have the ability to buy stock in Airbnb as of last Monday, Tuesday. It's, it's as Goff says, taking the company and putting it on the stock market. And apart from it being great for the company and them collecting money, it's also great for anyone that is part of the founder or investor group that invested in the company back when it was created in someone's basement with an idea to create an app, <laughs> like most things start nowadays. So um, now with Airbnb going on the stock market, you will see a lot more sales from people that own their stock inside the company, like the founders and any early investors. Let's say you own the company and you'd invest, let's say, a million dollars for whatever percentage of that company that you owned when it was private, right? And now that that company, like Airbnb, has exploded from whatever it was previously, let's say a 17 billion valuation up to like a 100 billion valuation. Now you can see that exponential growth means that whatever they owned in that company is also seen that exponential growth. So, so like Chris said, that's a good sort of exit strategy uh, for some of the companies company founders or someone else who may have helped the company in earlier stages. And this is why you see a lot of companies nowadays, which we will get into in future learning episodes, where they do seed funding and they fund these startups so that when they do explode in the future, they can really collect a lot of returns back from that initial investment. Just quickly, I want to touch on what that process really is. Um, and essentially, and how an IPO works is an the company who wants to um, go for an IPO has to first meet a whole bunch of criteria, right? Which we're not going to get into. But essentially to prove that it's like a stable growing company, et cetera, et cetera. And then the company itself will hire investment bankers and so on to come in, gauge demand, look at the market and set a price and a date of what the, the stock should go at. And by doing that, it gives preference to a few companies uh, investment companies that could fund and set this price, right? So in the primary market, it allows for some of these companies to get the in at a much lower price than you or me could at, at a secondary market. Uh, 
I say much lower price, the price post IPO could crash and fall, right? Uh, essentially, the investment bankers are just setting what they think a fair price and fair value would be. But it could definitely just tank after it goes into market. Again, a great example, Airbnb. They initially wanted to price the company on day one at around 40 to $50. Then they saw the demand was skyrocketing for IPOs. Then they increased it to 60 and ended up on the day to increase it to 68. But the company actually started trading officially at what, 140, 147. This is how crazy IPOs sometimes go with companies that are this well known. So any any valuation that has been done by you know investment bankers professionals to say that the company was roughly worth 40 to 50 dollars per share, thrown out the window. <laughs> Uh, e equally, when when Facebook came uh, live onto the stock market, we saw an initial jump, but it fell for months and months. So Facebook now at $200 is not what it was after the IPO back in, what was it, 2014, 15, something like that. So there, there, there's a bit of luck and um, also a little bit of, um, you know, what's the market sentiment if you do go for something like an IPO, a new company that's just been listed. Just to kind of add a little bit more, uh, it's important to know that these financial institutions make a ton of money in this case, right? Because these, some of these financial institutions are get in at that initial price. So they get in at that price of that 68 or whatever that Chris mentioned for Airbnb prior to the stock rising to the 140 when it gets released out into the market and now it's released out to the market for 140 and now the comp the financial institutions made like 100% on whatever investment they've made so it's just super interesting to know that this is a hugely valuable area for these financial institutions which is why people working in those roles make the most money in that in those teams right that's why investment banking professionals MA professionals this is why those professionals make a lot more money in the banks than someone doing sort of the cash desk or someone doing other different tasks within the bank right so uh, it's just super interesting when you understand that area and you see how profitable it is you see why some of these guys make the money that they do And Chris, now let's go to one of my favorite segments for sure, which is the 10 bagger list, right? Um, uh, these are companies that could explode and just skyrocket in the next few years or explode and just crash. So uh, what have you got for us this week? Yeah, I think you said it well. And having just talked about IPOs, 10 baggers typically fit within the range of having recently gone um, onto the market or having been on the market for only a short amount of time. Um, this time we have a slightly bigger company. It's called Baozun, uh, Chinese, with a 2.7 billion market cap, a, a relatively fair-valued company at a 60 PE ratio, which we'll explain in next week's learning segment what a PE ratio is. But the company has been sort of flat since 2017, and it surprised me when I looked into it. So Baozun, what do they do? Essentially, they work with companies to establish themselves in China and establish themselves onto the Chinese online market. It's been compared to Shopify quite a lot, but it's actually somewhat different to Shopify. 
Biozone typically work with um, large companies, mostly international. Some of their clients include Nike, Calvin Klein, Zara. You've got Microsoft and the digital space. You've got Philips, Panasonic. So you can see there's big names there. They work with those companies on selling their items in China, online, on their website, on other websites. They work on the payment processing, they work on the logistics, and most importantly, the marketing as well. Because as you can imagine, um, the Chinese consumer will react completely different to advertising than a Latin American consumer or a European consumer. So you do have to tailor it exactly to the market. As I said, it's it's actually somewhat fairly priced for a growth company. They grow 30 to 40% every single year, but with that have not performed very well during Corona, unlike Shopify, which I think has tripled in value. Reason being, again, these are all large international companies and Corona has kind of inhibited some of that cross-border trade and some of those companies going international. So it hasn't been performing well this year, but I think the outlook for this company is big, very big, with all the demographic changes in China. Surprisingly, one that I actually do know. Uh, <laughs> I think this is the first one in this segment that I actually have heard nice. of before. Um, but the interesting comparison you made to um, Shopify, I mean, I, I guess that's the general comparison people make. Uh, Shopify, the difference, the, one of the big differences, I guess, is Shopify is not end-to-end, -end, right? Yeah. They only do the, the initial element whereas Bowson's end-to-end but Shopify is a big benefit which is it's it's ties into Amazon and eBay and so on are extremely strong and it's like a break-free place uh so it's not break-free like Bowson's trying to be right so it's just meant people like you or me setting up drop shipping agencies or whatever can do it very easily through Shopify uh which has meant that stock from its initial uh, I, uh, price where it where we've seen massive growth, right? I mean, let's say Shopify went from like say seventeen dollars to about blew past like thousand dollars a share, right? Whereas uh, Bowser, as you mentioned, launched at around uh, ten dollars and we're trading around at thirty uh, in the mid thirties, which is what it was like you said from twenty seventeen. So it's super interesting. It hasn't changed too much, but you see a lot of potential here in the future, yeah, Chris? Exactly, and being a Chinese company. The risk is actually quite high as well that things are not reported properly or the numbers are slightly fetched or, you know, all of these things that come with Chinese companies. However, um, I, I see the growth. Uh, number one, the, the, the share price being flat for a growth company over three years is kind of unusual anyway. Yeah. Um, number two, with Chinese market becoming so middle class now. And, you know, the demographic changes to cities and disposable income rising in China will make our companies that are mostly trading on Baozun, like the Nike, the Calvin Klein, Zara, much more popular in the Chinese market. So um, Baozun not only will grow from other companies they work with, but also just from the existing uh partners they have in China. So I see huge potential. Again, I'm not invested. I don't think Gov would ever invest. <laughs> but it's it, it's 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 a nice little 10 bagger. You can put it on your watch list, but please do your own research because the risk here is quite high. But again, in 10 to 20 years, it'd be interesting to look back at this and say, oh, hang on, it's actually gone from 30 to you know 350 or it's gone from 30 to bankrupt. We'll see, right, Gov? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Awesome, Chris. Uh, and 
that's it for this episode. Uh, catch us in the next one where we where we look at the in-depth stock analysis of PayPal and how our thoughts on how the company's future outlook looks like. And gorge the demand of the market. Oh, not gorge. <laughs> Gauge the demand of the market. <laughs>